It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, why we believe CBS will force NBC and ESPN to raise their game, how the MLS final did in the TV ratings, what we make of CBS going into their second week of coverage, the latest news about Scottish, Portuguese and Belgian rights, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik Let's start off by uh, talking about your uh, your favorite match of this past week. Yeah, so I guess um, my favorite match was probably uh, um, one of the Champions League matches. I I, I, I would have to say um, it's it's tough to they, they 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 were all kind of of the same degree. So I mean, if I had to randomly pick, it would be Atalanta PSG before stoppage time, <laughs> and say that that was that was my favorite match. Um, my- obviously, I think that the other match, the, the best match, probably was Shakhtar Basel, but it was very one way. But Shakhtar so impressive in that match. Yeah, I, I actually the, the Atlanta uh, Atalanta uh, PSG was my favorite game of the week too, and it's one of those things that you mean most neutrals, most soccer fans were I think hoping uh, that uh, Atalanta w- would win this one but uh, for me though I mean if you're a neutral or if you're, if you're a PSG supporter I mean this was just an amazing comeback in this game of course uh, the riches of PSG uh, versus uh, the relevant kind of uh, I guess uh, uh, un- un- well it's not unjust but, but the wages that they have in, in Serie A for the team from Ber- Bergamo Uh but ultimately, at the end of the day, you still have to put those uh, performances in and, and try to win it. And it, it was exciting. It was it was a letdown, definitely. I think I think everyone was depressed about it. But it was an entertaining game, and uh, I didn't expect it, Kartik. I, I thought that uh, Atalanta was going to hold on to this one, at least go you mean one one, and then into extra time. But they're not a side that's that's accustomed to defending deep, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw this in the match against Juventus, where they had the unfortunate handball in stoppage time, right? Remember uh, a match that had Atalanta hung on to that, they might have really pushed Juventus until uh, the last week for the Serie A title. As it turns out, they finished third, uh, and Inter uh, closed the gap and eventually 
past them. Um, it's not a style of football they're accustomed to playing. So I thought that maybe uh, it, it was a curse, and we can say all this in hindsight, right, because they almost did see it out. But it was a curse to have scored as early as they did and PSG being as off as they were. Uh, and granted, PSG had played one competitive match in the last uh, um, in the last what six months, five months, right? Same for Leon. Uh, although Leon looked much sharper against Juventus than uh, um, PSG did against Atalanta until the until the very end, of course. Yeah, PSG had had uh, they've had a, a couple of friendlies. They played what Celtic, and but they did have the, uh, the French League Cup game um, against was I think Saint Etienne, and uh, they also had another game too against Leon. But 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 really, this was really their first. Uh, Big, big, uh, big match in quite some time. What I liked about this, though, Kartik, not just this match, but uh, both Europa League and the Champions League games thus far, is the single elimination. You mean it's it's it doesn't get any better than this? It's no away legs, no away goals, just a full on ninety minutes in in a neutral venue, which is which is a huge plus too. And it's win or go home, and it's something that. Uh, I think we should appreciate uh, that we have it while we have it, because this is not going to be the norm. This is not going to come back in the future and be this type of format. But I wonder, too, even in in this uh, Atalanta-PSG game, uh, if it wasn't this single elimination game, knockout game, if it was a two-legged affair, whether PSG would have pushed so hard uh, late in that game. It might have ended 1-1, and PSG would have been satisfied with it, and that the viewers like ourselves would have been like, oh, okay, th- that was a decent game, and we'll we'll wait until the second leg to see what happens. And, and similarly, would have Atlanta, Atalanta have uh, uh, pull, pull, pulled back? Because I'm thinking about the match against Lazio, the first match after the Serie A restart, where they just kept attacking and attacking. Remember, that's that I think is one of the the great games of this season. This this interrupted season was that match. Uh, for those of you who saw it, probably agree with me. And Atalanta got a lead on Lazio. They came from behind and they kept attacking. Uh, but this being a single leg. Uh, knockout, I, I felt like they had the goal, and when they didn't get a second by halftime, they became much more tentative. And, and uh, while historically Italian teams can be very organized and tough to break down, that's not Atalanta's game, right? Their game is the most free-flowing, open style of football imaginable in this day and age. And so I, I think it, it affected how they uh, approached it. But the th- you, you bring up a great point, Chris, because I think this – is something that fans are excited about, the single leg, because it may give us some more random results, mm-hmm. right? Uh, by the time listeners listen to this, they'll know the result of Leipzig and uh, and uh, Atleti. We're taping this in advance of that. But I think over two legs, we're all pretty sure Atleti would uh, would shut up shop and, and, and take care of Leipzig. But it's possible the result becomes very random uh, in, in, a, in a single leg. Same thing with uh, the fact that this year Barcelona is weaker than they've been. But in a single leg against Bayern... Uh, they can probably beat them over two legs. I don't think there's a chance this season. So uh, similar, uh, I think maybe we'll get some more random results. And in Europa League, we almost had a shock, right, because of the single leg uh, with uh, Copenhagen and Manchester United. So you yeah. make a great point about the single leg thing. It's going to be tough for some of us to go back to uh, two leg ties next year. It's going to be kind <laughs> of uh, dour by comparison, I, I fear. Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen that before in, in previous Champions League. Um, I mean, the latter stage of the, of the tournament usually gets very 
oh man, edgy, just very, very, very nervy, very like both teams do not want to lose. So it's, I mean, the first leg is usually kind of a throwaway and the second leg, I mean, that's when it comes alive. But the one thing that, that hasn't been random about the coverage that we've seen thus far, Kartik, has been CBS's coverage. It's been so consist- consistently good. Uh, it's so good, actually, Kartik, that, that, that for me, uh, I think it puts everyone else to shame in the United States in terms of NBC Sports. I think they need a major refresh uh, coming into the next uh, Premier League season. ESPN, in comparison, while good, seems low budget in comparison. BN Sports seems a little bit amateurish now compared to what CBS is doing. And um, for me, Kartik, personally, I haven't been this excited about tuning in for pre-match coverage and staying with the matches afterwards for the post-match coverage. The last time I can remember this would have been probably a few years ago, at least uh, for NBC Sports' coverage uh, on Saturday mornings, when kind of that Premier League live format really kind of uh, kind of grew. And I'd, I'd wake up at, say, seven or, or even earlier, I think about six or seven in the morning to tune into the Premier League live and then practically watch it for the entire weekend. It's that good. What do you think, Kartik? Do you agree? Oh, I think it's better than that. I mean, it's... It's really good. I mean, even uh, the post-match shows on the Europa League broadcasts have been very good. I, I have a little bone to pick with Rude Hulet mispronouncing names. His analysis was actually very good. Yeah. But I can't even pronounce Sevilla properly, which... It, it, it could be a language thing, though, too, in terms yeah. of uh, Dutch. I'm not, I'm not sure what the Sevilla... I mean, I mean, it would have been for, like, for me personally, too, like, growing up uh, in the UK... Uh, it was always Seville, Seville, yeah. Seville, until I came to the United States, and then uh, Sevilla's become such an international brand. It's it's only in the last maybe ten years that, to me, yeah, I would say Sevilla very naturally versus Seville in the past. So that might have been something that kind of threw him a little bit. I'm not sure, but yeah, it, it was a little bit strange on that one. Yeah, but, uh, but Honingstein, phenomenal. What what an ad to get Rafa Honingstein. And here's the thing now that that I'm. Uh, concerned about it. and I tweeted about this looking back at ESPN FC who had Honingstein regularly on their show for six years and uh, and the Guardian podcast. He put him in this German Bundesliga uh, uh, bubble, right? They put him in this this uh, this silo where he was only talking about that or he'd talk about Jurgen Klopp or Tuchel. Uh, obviously, the Tuchel thing obviously came up with PSG also now, but talking about German, something connected to Germany. What we found with... Um, with, with, with the Shakhtar uh, match and then with the, with the Sevilla match, is that he's very comfortable talking about any football from Europe, and he's more than just a reporter. He's got a really real depth to his analysis. So, quite a coup for CBS there. I think uh, their hosts have all been ex- excellent. Oh, yeah, sorry. I th- I, just, just, just to chime in on that one, Kartik. I think in some ways, though, that uh, Rafa Honigstein got, got a little bit lost in the shadows with, with Gab Marcotti at ESPN FC. So, if there was kind of a more of a continental European discussion point or some some uh, something that was pan-European. Usually, Gab would be the one that would talk about it and and uh, be yes. brought, brought in. Where Rafa was okay. All right, this, uh, Bundesliga. Let's go to Rafa. But yeah, you, your points uh, very valid, Kartik. Right, and I, and and Marcotti is brilliant. So I yeah. don't want to take anything away from him. They're just very different in the way they approach their analysis. And that I think that's right. That is the reason because in that era, Marcotti was on ESPN FC every day. More or less. Did you so see? There was no opening. For, speaking of uh, Atalanta, did you see the pre-match coverage where they had uh, Roberto Martinez and Jamie Carragher at the tactical board? I can break yeah. it, breaking down that. That was that was mind blowing in terms of just the way that they were able to 
kind of analyze that, but also from Carragher's kind of being a, a central defender, giving a, di- a different viewpoint in terms of some of the uh, the holes in Atalanta's defense, which we saw happen in the first half with uh, Neymar's chances kind of breaking through pretty easily. But that I thought was really, really well done, that tactical analysis. Yeah, and I think what Martinez was talking about in terms of the way I- Atalanta plays, he nailed, and they got away from it in the second half, which uh, is the frustration for me as a neutral. And I'll admit, I mean, I'm a neutral, but I've fallen in love with this particular team this season. And I, they were very good last season, too, but I didn't watch as much Serie A last season, admittedly. So I was really gutted at full time. And, 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 uh, I, and I wasn't alone. I mean, I got on social media and they, they had captured the imagination of the public. And I think those sorts of tactical discussions help because it helped people understand uh, who may be tuning in for the first time why Atalanta captured so much of the fans' attention. Martinez got into that, just into the, into the way they play. But yeah, the tactical board is something that we saw NBC use sparingly and only when they had a Microsoft Surface tablets or some sort of sponsor build in. And uh, I, I, I think you know, and I don't know if we want to have a larger discussion today or another time, but I think NBC is is squarely uh, uh, they they are they are now behind the eight ball, so to speak, because I, I think what we've seen from CBS is a major American network that is able to elevate their studio coverage to levels that uh, we had thought NBC were t- was taking us. And I don't want to take anything away from 2013 and 2014 and what you said when we I was the same. I would wake up at 6:30 in the morning and consume all that stuff, but. But um, uh, this is a far cry from that. That was uh, that I think was uh, uh, an evolution in the middle of the decade that was very uh, useful. But then they never kicked on, right? Yeah. Um, it's almost like the team uh, in a top European league that that, that t- uh, contends for titles and qualifies for Champions League two or three years on the bounce and then falls to mid-table obscurity. That's the way I view NBC's Premier League coverage right now. With CBS, I mean, they're, the way that they're taking this uh, Champions League and, and Europa League, I mean, the Europa League hasn't gotten as much love probably ever on, on uh, U.S. Uh, television, well, not television, but U.S. streaming. But the way that they focused in on this is it's World Cup level. I mean, the last yeah. time I can think of whether they had this many guests and high-level Really top level coverage would have been back to what the two thousand fourteen uh, World Cup with ESPN and even back to two thousand and ten too. Those would have been kind of the high points. Although, honestly, I'm not sure even that they focused on every match the way uh, at, at this level. I mean, the Europa League coverage is unprecedented. That I think we can all agree on. Yeah. In Champions League, I think even and again it goes back to this kind of format of single single games and 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 it all being in a condensed time frame maybe but I don't even know in the World Cup outside of US games and and, and other nations of interest uh, in in uh, the US market of ESPN did this knock up a job. They were great, don't get me wrong, but I in terms of tactics, looking at individual matchups, the things like the Carragher Martinez segment which by the way we saw that the very first day they had Champions League coverage uh, before uh, Man City Real Madrid we saw uh, Peter Schmeichel involved in that discussion also uh, it's stuff we've never seen on American television at this level yeah I think the ESPN would have been close though if 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 I remember right which is it's going back many years ago now but if I remember right um, they had the kind of the sit down in the kind of the casual around the coffee table discussion high level analysis um, you had some debate, Sorry. and yeah. the tactical stuff. I'm I'm sure it was there. I just don't, I don't remember it as much. This this having been like what daily now that we're seeing these types of things, it's more in the front of, from my head. 
But for for those people who who haven't watched any of the pregame or, or the post match, the post match has been very good too. Uh, definitely, I think Kartik and I agree that definitely it's a must must see. But Kartik, out of every, everyone there, I mean, there's a lot of to choose from. It seems like almost every day there's more announcements about more talent being added. Um, who would you say are your top two favorite uh, people on board as far as uh, the coverage? So last thing I wanted to add was I think uh, 2016 Euros, now that I'm thinking back, ESPN did a really good job, especially between games, uh, bringing Taylor Twelman, who was calling or was the co-commentator for a lot of games, in him and Stuart Robson to talk tactics, right? Right. So uh, I I should say – Along the river, Sam. And and excuse me. No, I was just uh, along the river, San. Uh, yeah, San, yeah, even yeah. Kind of a- yeah. Once they got that studio built, right at first because of the labor problems, they were in another studio. But um, yeah, so I think that was good. So my top two would be one Roberto Martinez. Uh, that's uh, that kind of goes without saying. And boy, for second, that's a that's that's really a toss up. Maybe I give Honingstein the slight edge over over Carragher, but I mean, I think they've all been. Really good. I mean, I put, I definitely put uh, Schmeichel in that discussion, even though I think there's some uh, awkwardness on camera now, and that well. comes from that comes from rustiness. He used to be on TV a lot more in the UK than he has been lately. Mika Richards had some moments, uh, but uh, I, I think I, I'll, I'll opt for Honingstein second. Yeah, so, so Peter Schmeichel, I think in uh, many ways, uh, the last couple of days we've seen him where he's been on site at the stadium. Is a lot. He's definitely a lot more comfortable. He's a lot more uh, kind of friendly in in the studio. He's a little a little bit stiff. He was a little bit wasn't sure w- which camera to look at. Um, but I would say Kartik, which I know that you're biased uh, in in the opposite way. But I would say my my number one is uh, Mika Richards. He's been such a breath of fresh air, such a great feel good um, character. Really positive energy, really fun to listen to. Uh, brings a smile to my face. And my number two is Alex Scott for similar reasons too. She's been just a a ball of energy, just just so uh, fun to to listen to and to watch. And and I've especially liked uh, the pieces that she's done, the segment pieces where she's in Portugal, she's in Lisbon, she's giving us a little bit of kind of the history and the culture and, and the sights and scenes and and the match day atmosphere, which is very little little of it. But still, that's interesting. And and for me too, as somebody who, I mean. World traveler, love soccer. I mean, living in the United States for like the last thirty-five years, and living in the environment I'm living in now in Florida, kind of COVID capital, uh, and then just seeing the people in the streets and and uh, even with Guillaume Balaguer, um, kind of in the background and kind of walking around, see, seeing how life is changing there so differently than here. I, I mean, I, it just pulls me right into those broadcasts. I would say, out of all the talent. There's no weaknesses. There's there's no one yeah, there that can yeah. say that. Oh my gosh, that person needs some work. Well, actually, CBS Sports HQ is a different story. That that, that we could probably go on about about some of the weaknesses there. But as far as the CBS All Access, it is absolutely spectacular. Having said that, Kartik, uh, giving CBS All credit, there's still room for improvement. I still think that they can actually make it even better. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but uh, I'm confident. And, and so far, rather than going to in, focusing on the negatives, I, I think it's just been absolutely spectacular. 
this is a case where uh, I overcompensate because I know if people people who know me will, or, or know I'm inclined to just say Micah Richards, right, <laughs> out of my personal sentiment for him. So I do have a bias, so I kind of have to put that aside. Uh, but I, I appreciate your sentiments with him as well. I, I have to say that. What about the commentators? What's your thoughts about the commentators so far? Well, Peter Drury, I think, is the best commentator in the English language right now. So, uh, <laughs> And yesterday, Atalanta, PSG, uh, he and Beglin were even more comfortable knowing they were co- uh, covering this match and calling this match for an American audience. I think uh, the first match we saw some, uh, the Barcelona-Napoli match, we saw some of that with Conrad uh, De La Fuente being mentioned and, and uh, an elongated conversation of, again about uh, De Laurentiis, the owner of Napoli, that we would not have had normally mm-hmm. when uh, they, they call matches for the World Feed or, or, or for uh, ITV in the past. Uh, but yesterday it was like he, uh, he knew he was calling the match for the American audience. And unlike Clive Tilsley, who I think his – and I love Clive Tilsley also, but I think Clive Tilsley – maybe it has uh, some thoughts that the American audience isn't familiar with these clubs and with Champions League. So he's called it in a little bit more of a, um, a uh, he's uh, educational he's, way. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I was going to yeah. say he's dumbed it down a little bit. Dumbed just, it down, that's just, right. Just a slight little bit. No, not, not too much, but there is a, a little bit of that. Drury has not done that at all. In fact, Drury and Beglin, and let's, let's remember they're a team and they're very much a team calling Premier League matches also, uh, have uh, understood that because they're calling the match for a network and a specific audience, it allows them to elaborate a little more. It allows them to add a little more layer to their analysis, not dumb it down, but quite frankly, do the opposite. So, uh, yeah, and, and Tilsley has been very good, too. I thought Rob Green was a pl- present surprise. Uh, uh, excuse me, tongue-tied. Pleasant surprise on the Man City-Real uh, Madrid match. But, uh, boy, I could listen to, uh, to Peter Drury call any match at this point. And we, uh, we talk, we've talked about this before on the podcast and how, how brilliant his call was in Roma-Barcelona. That sort of elevated him to a new level. But uh, he's been fantastic, and I think uh, he's, uh, for me, number one in, in the English language. I would put uh, John Champion, who I know we'll talk about MLS in a minute, uh, who called the MLS final this week. I'd put him uh, a close second. I think he's he's uh, still at a high, high level. But, yeah, I've loved the commentary. And, again, uh, I don't want to beat up on NBC this whole podcast, but when you've got Drury and Tilsley calling your matches for an American audience, I think that that's, um, that has to put NBC under some pressure to have a permanent second team. Obviously, we know Arlo White is the lead commentator paired with uh, with either Lasso or Dixon, but a permanent high-level second commentator instead of kind of the uh, – uh, the rotating thing, which I believe has a lot to do with cost cutting uh, that we've seen the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get to NBC in a little bit, though, too. But th- it's interesting, the two, Kartik, because you probably saw this. I'm, I'm not sure if you did or not, but you probably saw the, the poll uh, we had on Twitter maybe a few days ago um, under World Soccer Talk. And the question was, is um, or was, uh, who's your favorite commentator? And we had four choices. Actually, f- favorite uh, new in quotation marks, uh, commentator that's broadcasting that's an English commentator that's broadcasting for a US company and in there we had uh, Clive Tildesley we had Peter Drury we had Arlo White and John Champion and all four of those are you mean top class commentators all four of them have different styles all four of them have you mean kind of a different type of fan base uh, in many ways so Clive Tildesley is the voice of the Champions League uh, but he's the voice of the Champions League to uh, listeners or viewers in the UK. 
you mentioned Clive Tilsley to people in the United States, and they'll remember him from uh, being the voice of one of the video games, and they'll remember him maybe doing some spots for NBC Sports last year. But by far, he is not the most uh, well-known commentator, even though he is the number one commentator for CBS All Access. I mean, he's got he's doing most of the the Champions League games. He's doing the Champions League final. It's Peter Drury that's getting the Europa League final and still doing a lot of the Champions League too, but would be a close second in terms of the ranking there. The poll, though, the poll had number one, uh, after more than a thousand votes, number one was Ola White. Number two was Peter Drury. Number three was, um, I think it was, um, I think it was John Champion. And then number four was Clive Tildesley. But I, I I based that on the actual results. I based that more on the familiarity of those people. I, mean, I, I don't think that many people, even hardcore soccer fans, I mean, you and I know them, and, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, but there's some of us that probably aren't as familiar with Clive Tilsley. I just thought that was interesting uh, with Arlo being number one, but Arlo, I think everybody knows just from how many years has it been, like seven years now of yeah. uh, Premier League coverage. Having said that, Kantik, I do agree with you. So NBC Sports, for this next season coming up, which starts, what, September 12th, they'll be here before you know it. And especially with their launch on Peacock. I mean, yes, they had some games on Peacock at at the end of uh, this past season, but this is going to be a big launch for them in September, pushing hard to get uh, a lot of the games on Peacock, but also um, that being kind of their big, huge streaming platform. I think they have to change things. I think it's time for a refresh, kind of just, uh, and and all of us love and know, I mean, Rebecca Lowe, the two Robbies, Carl Martino, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we've gotten to know them so well, but they've become very predictable. They've been at times boring. They've been at times interesting, but it, we know what we're getting when we're, when we're listening and watching those. And I, I just wonder... It's a question, I mean, it's a really a question for Pierre Moussa, who's the, the head of production at NBC Sports for the Premier League. But does he have the opportunity, does he have the budget available to maybe, maybe do something different and maybe start off the new season based in the UK and have have his talent based there for a while until things calm down over here? But then there's a whole bunch, I mean, when will they be able to come back to the States? I mean, Rebecca Lowe has, has a young child. Uh, the two Robbies, I mean, they have family in the United States, so maybe they stay in the States and, and continue broadcasting from Stanford, Connecticut. But then do they tap more into Sky Sports and try to get leverage some of their talent there or things that they're doing? But that, that's the big one, Kartik, is what is how does NBC Sports respond to what CBS has done? Yeah, or even add new features with existing talent. Because I, I look at that tactics board and we talked about Carragher and Martinez and how well they did with it. I think that's right up Robbie Musto's alley. I, I think he would do, he would excel with that sort of conversation. I mean, I don't know if you pair him with Martino or Earl on that. I mean, that's, that's a decision for, for Pierre Musa and, and NBC sports, but I think you just integrating a feature like that would liven it up a little bit. And then I, 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 I know some people disagree on this, but the loss of Neil Ashton, and obviously it happened in the middle of a season, and we know why he went into private business within weeks at Woodward and Manchester United had hired him uh, as kind of their PR flack. Uh, but the loss of Neil Ashton has made these pregame shows, to me, absolutely worthless, because at least you were getting top-level 
insider information from a legitimate reporter, one of the top reporters in the uh, in the business, not one of these Sky News, uh, Sky Sports people who I think are just talking to a single player agent or repeating what's already out there. So uh, I also think that they need to find some sort of replacement for Neil Ashton. Uh, it, it was bad timing. And I think it was bad timing for everybody. He was on a Sky show, and it was terrible timing for that show, too, uh, that he hosted on Sunday mornings uh, when he left. But um, I, I think that that's also very imperative, that they, they fill that hole in their, in their programming gap. Here's what's happened with NBC through the years, Chris. And I, every time someone has left, Steve Bauer, uh, Gary Lineker, uh, Neil Ashton, Tim they Howard. just haven't replaced those people, right? They right. haven't replaced the segments. They haven't replaced the features. They haven't replaced the kind of documentaries that uh, Goalhanger Films and, and uh, Lineker were producing for them. So um, they've just kind of gradually – it's not like they've even stayed at the same level. People have come back at me with my criticisms of NBC and said, well, may, you, you say it's stale. That's true. And, and But uh, it's it, if it's really good, why change it? Well, I don't think it's even at the same level as it was. When I say it's stale, there are a- aspects of it that are stale. There are other aspects that have regressed. Yeah, but there is one thing, though, too, Kartik, in those seven years that uh, NBC Sports has been covering in the Premier League is really, really, they had no competition. They had nobody that was really pushing them hard, that was uh, making them look um, inferior in some ways. I mean, yes, definitely NBC Sports still does good coverage and still has some good segments now and again. But a lot of it the last couple of years have, has seemed to be hypey. Uh, for you and I, I know, you I mean, we've talked about this before, is we're almost like a little bit burnt out on that yeah. same talent. And I love Kyle Martino, but I don't know, maybe having somebody different there in that role or rotating those out and putting some new fresh faces in there and now and again. like Roger Bennett as your... Uh your go-to interviewer, your go-to kind of special features person, um, he has a, a clear role in his Men in Blazers uh, a world, and and he does he excels at that. But I, I think again, you might want to bring someone else in to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of opportunities there to grow and to change and improve things. Um, whether they will or not, because I know budget constraints, and especially with a lot of these TV broadcasters, are, are a big concern. But at the same time, like I said before, too, Peacock is such a huge uh, priority for them. It's priority number one. So you will see Peacock promos, ads, everything on that TV coverage and trying to push people to that Peacock premium um, really, really hard once the season starts up. Um, but what about ESPN, Kartik? Because, I mean, we've seen kind of hints of their coverage as far as some of the uh, the DFB Pokal uh, tournament, the final, the semifinals on ESPN. And we saw kind of the Adrian Healy and Taylor Twelman kind of crew uh, together. We saw uh, Serie A, some of the games with um, Matteo Matteo and, um, and Mark Donaldson and that, again, a, a duo. And then we've seen, of course, of course, with the MLS's back with John Champion and Taylor Twelman, that seems to be their format now is having a, a two crew uh, doing both the presenting and the analysis and the commentary. And in comparison, that seems to me, at least while, it, while all of those are good uh, individuals in terms of the talent and, and analysis, it seems to be a little bit low budget compared to what CBS All Access is doing, where they're going all out. 
Yeah, I don't know if it was an experiment, a post-COVID uh, experiment that they didn't have. I, I mean, I was really kind of surprised uh, they didn't have uh, a, a, a studio, an actual studio around the MLS's back tournament. I understand why they did what they did with Serie A, which was uh, generally they haven't had studios before with Serie A, but what ended up happening, or they've used ESPN FC's studio team and taped a segment, although once in a while it's been live, but they uh, they had multiple games. They were doing games every day in Serie A, which was a welcome surprise, right? Uh, but I, uh, I think Max Bredo's not being there really hurts them in this respect. I mean, I think he's the guy you would put in the studio, obvious, obvious person you would put in the studio for any kind of uh, Americanized soccer coverage, right? Yeah. Uh, who, who gets the European angle too? Uh, I think Serie A also. He'd be, he'd be the guy. Um, and then when you talk about the ESPN FC show, I think they've they've, they've tweaked it a bit. They've experimented a bit with it. Although, let's look at the FA Cup final and the job they did on that. That was a higher level presentation than anything we get from NBC. So they had a full hour pregame show uh, with Kay Murray. Uh, Stu Robson was on there. Alexis Nunez was on there, Alexis Nunez, and then you also had uh, Don Hutchinson on there, and so that's a that's a really good team right there. And then you had a halftime show and a post match show with Craig Burley and Dan Thomas, which is as good as it gets. So uh, uh, they they elevated it and, and gave us uh, kind of a tease with that one match. So are they going to go more in that direction with Bundesliga? Because uh, it was an imar- remarkable presentation and production for the FA Cup final. Or are they going to go to the uh, the, the cost-cutting measure? Now, if you're going to cut costs, there's no one better to do it with than John Champion and Taylor Twelman. So because they have that particular commentary team, maybe they can get away with it to a certain extent because those are two of the best of what they do in the English language anywhere. I, I would submit, I'd put, like I said, I'd put champion uh, a close second behind Peter Drury uh, worldwide, English language commentators right now. I think he's past uh, Martin Tyler. And I put Twelman right at the very top. You know, maybe uh, uh, Stuart Robson or Gary Neville is, are the only ones I would say that are, are, are maybe better than him or as good as him. So uh, I think that that allows ESPN the ability to kind of cut costs and not make it show. But... CBS has raised the bar. So let's see how they respond. All right, Kajik. So, so Taylor Twelman is good, but I don't think he's that good. I Yes, he when, when you give him a specific game or a specific tournament and say, okay, all right, Taylor, you're going to be doing Euro 2020 or well, Euro 2016. I want you to focus in on these teams I mean, you mean, and, and just focus in on a high level tactical analysis and I mean, that same thing with MLS is back too. But you can't spread him too thin where, I mean, he's going to be doing maybe maybe doing Bundesliga and especially with uh, ESPN having a lot of the MLS coverage. And uh, I mean, hoping that he's going to be able, you know, he, he will be doing a lot of the MLS coverage too. And he's already had a busy summer with what, the 52 games or whatever it was, 51 games. I, I think he's good. But I just don't think he's that good. I don't think he's one of the best out there. And and that's the elephant in the room, Kartik, is that we look at what CBS has been doing, and a lot of this is based on the world that we live in, where it's like, okay, is it easier to go ahead and have a crew in London and have them situated there, where it's, from a health perspective, safer, and it's easier to pull in talent there, than to try to create something in, in Bristol, Connecticut. And with Bristol, Connecticut... Yes, there are some really good analysts and some really good commentators. I, John Champion's one of the best. 
you've got some, you mean Seb, Seb Salazar and, and, and others too that are really good with their analysis. But you're limited to a certain degree. You're not, you're not bringing in any new fresh, fresh blood, fresh ideas. Uh, Taylor, while I appreciate his analysis, he does get a annoying after a while. And I, and I think there's a lot of listeners that probably feel the same way too, where it's yeah, like it's just too much, too much ta- Taylor. Like, like, oh. Yeah, I have a friend who told me during the DFB final, the uh, the Leverkusen-Bayern final, that you know, Taylor was just showing off because he was just showing off that he knows more about the Bundesliga than these two teams than, than anyone. Yeah, I, I think like, well, you, you, I kind of appreciated that, but I, I kind of like, get what you're saying. You either like him or you don't like him. I, th- I think yeah. in terms of a lot of the other uh, – Roberto Martinez, I don't think I've ever met a a person or heard from a person that's that's disliked him he's a likable guy but he's very knowledgeable good communicator i mean somebody is that played played at a high level but also is managing i mean a team at the very high highest level too so i mean does espn i mean okay don't laugh espn has to think about bringing in Derek ray and ian joy for bundesliga i'll say that right now i they're not i hope they're not set with their commentary teams and with their presentation teams uh particularly for that specific league those are the two best best guys you can bring in well the elephant in the room kartik is that uh with cbs what they've done and what espn is doing and what nbc has been doing is that American commentators, American talent, American analysts. I mean, how do they compare to others from around the world? And you look at the United States, well, you look at what what CBS is doing, and it is all 100% European. I mean, it's it's a European tournament. I mean, the studio is based in London, so they're pulling people in, in from there. Uh, you look at what ESPN is doing, which is definitely more cosmopolitan. You've got a different variety of different... Uh, it focuses, but mostly again, either American talent or you mean either Scottish American or I mean just but people that have lived in the states for a very long time. NBC is very much a European based, uh, other than Kyle and and kind of some infrequent uh, Liam McHugh or you uh, mean Ahmed etc. That that's the elephant in the room is is the analysis and level of talent. In America, good enough to pull off what CBS is doing with what they're doing um, in in Europe. Yeah, and they still keep a, a little bit of an American flavor to it. I mean, I I remember Alex Scott really well as a player in our, our women's league uh, for several years when she played for Boston. So I, I know that there's a familiarity, and obviously Kate Abdo also has spent a lot of time now in the U.S. There's a familiarity with with the U.S. audience among uh, among some of their presenters. Uh, yeah, that that's the big question, right? And when I mention um, uh, Ian Joy and Derek Ray, the people there there will be people who push back on me saying, "Oh, well, that's more Scottish, uh, Scottish Americans uh, because of their accents." But I, I think for the Bundesliga in particular, those two guys are must. Um, now, in a bigger picture sense, what happens to American talent? We know Fox, whether they uh, would admit it or not, have been very. Uh, very uh, aggressive in promoting American voices and American talent uh, on air to to the detriment maybe of of those who did not have uh, those who had foreign accents with Fox feeding as a force in club football outside of MLS. And we assume they're going to make an effort to keep MLS rights, especially since they have world cup rights in 2026. But um, we also have to assume they're not going to pick up any other club football, right? Uh, Other than the, 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 the Club Tijuana stuff, you know, they're mm-hmm. not going to have an entire league to present. Uh, we might see two exceptionally different uh, approaches between Fox, 
with a very kind of Americanized feel. Turner was doing that as well. And then this uh, European feel of CBS and, um, and NB- NBC. And you, we could say ESPN is a hybrid, but the, um, the Americans that are on ESPN tend to be kind of more European in, in a lot of their outlook and their analysis. I would say that for sure about Taylor Twelman. And, and I think Hercules Gomez, when he's on, maybe not, not – as European, but he's very kind of critical in, 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 in a way that a lot of American commentators are. And then Casey Keller, when he's on, is, is, is very European mm-hmm. in the way he, he views the sport. So uh, I think you've got two different models, and they're growing maybe further apart with uh, the introduction of CBS to, to, to this sport. Yeah, for, for me personally, at the end of the day, it's not. It shouldn't be based on ethnicity, or should not be based on uh, where they come from, or you mean who they played for, whatever. It should be based on their talent, based on their knowledge, based on how how good they are, and and that's why, and that's where the hiring decisions should be made, f- focused on that. Now, as far as the U.S. goes, and this could be a whole other episode in the future, but it's it's hard to come up with a dream team of U.S analysts and commentators that are top level i i mean tim howard is okay he's not the greatest i mean mo is is fast up and coming um but still has a way to go Stu holden i think it wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit too much when it comes to the u.s men's national team and isn't able to be as critical as he could be and should be uh, at times when, when they, they need to, that kind of critical uh, analysis and Lalas is really kind of more of a, sadly, kind of a clown show, just a, a fox. I, and um, it's it's hard. It's it's really hard to come up with a dream team. Uh, I mean, Janusz Mahalik is somebody that's kind of been almost ostracized from U.S. Um, soccer coverage, but is, is very good. I mean, to me, he's very American. He's played for the United States. He's lived in this country for a long time. Um, but that's an example of somebody that really isn't really featured much. It- and I think he's also been punished for knowing uh, too much about continental leagues. If I'm being frank, I don't want to get people get very angry when I when I uh, hit on the Premier League. But I, I think Janus being more continental in his outlook and, and, and understanding Serie A and understanding uh, the leagues in, in Europe have, right. have, hurt, have hurt him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, but I think he's another guy ESPN uh, should look at for Bundesliga coverage now that you mention him. Yeah, but when you look at uh, everything that's happened, this has just been one week of CBS coverage. CBS has hit the ground running. Not only have they hit the ground running, but they've turned everything upside down. Now, all of a sudden, well, n- not all of a sudden, but we, we're questioning NBC Sports. We're questioning uh, ESPN. We're questioning being sports, I mean, to, to me, being sports have let so many people go that what who they have left are decent, but they're not anywhere close to the level that they should be uh, having La Liga rights, having uh, Liga and rights. So um, they've scaled back big time in terms of how much they're spending. But I mean, I guess it's a good thing, Kartik, for, for us, the TV viewers or the, the streaming viewers, is we're getting high level analysis. It's been t- top level and hopefully, maybe it, it'll force everyone else to change and up their game. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Not a lot to get to this week, but some interesting news, uh, needless to say. Yeah. Um, so this week, ESPN Plus increased their price increase by $1 from 499 
uh, to $5.99. The streaming service also announced that it's now up to 8.5 million subscribers, although I should mention Disney Plus is now up to 60 or 65 million. I forgot the number. So um, that was, uh, it's just a fraction of that, and a lot of those people are coming through the bundle with Disney Plus. Uh, the annual price for ESPN Plus remains the same at $49.99. Also, those of you that uh, have been uh, subscribing for the monthly package for a while, uh, you're grandfathered in for, I believe it's another six or nine months. So you won't see the, the jump in, in, in cost uh, for six or nine months, at least, if you're, if you're grandfathered in. But if you're a new subscriber, you're going to pay $5.99 a month. Yeah, yeah. Or you can get the annual price, which is uh, $49.99 a, a year, which is definitely a great savings there. Now, as far as some, some quick hits with some news, uh, the Ted Lasso comedy uh, series begins uh, on Friday on Apple TV Plus, and the, uh, Apple TV Plus has a seven-day free trial. What I don't know yet is whether or not they'll have all of the episodes uh, available at once, or whether they'll spread them out over a, a weekly basis. But okay, um, so what what I understand they're doing is that they're doing the first three episodes at once, and then they're going to spread the rest of the episodes out once a week. Okay, so that's how they're doing it. And by the way, they did a, a, a knock up job of such a knock up job of advertising on Champions League yep. that my 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 stream froze at halftime yesterday of Atalanta PSG. We're recording this on Thursday, by the way, and uh, I missed a good chunk of the halftime show so uh because it my screen froze during the apple ad and i was like now i know like ted lasso have to watch it have to watch it have to watch it because i was staring at it yeah. for three minutes before i realized the thing had been frozen yeah which is smart advertising from uh, apple in terms of just having it on every day with the uh, the cbs all access having that ad running so um so that starts on friday on apple tv plus um, the Nicholas Anelka documentary we've mentioned before, I haven't had a chance to get to it yet. Uh, it's subtitled, so usually the subtitle t- subtitle stuff, I usually kind of need to kind of focus 100% of my uh, uh, focus and energy on that. So I need to, to find some time, maybe one of these off days in, in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, and then as far as uh, rights from around the world, um, World Soccer Talk wrote a story last week that uh, the Portuguese Primera Liga is coming back to Goal TV this season. Um, they haven't finished the, the the actual final paperwork on this one, but it looks like that uh, the Portuguese League and Goal TV have agreed a deal. So that's good news for fans of uh, Portuguese soccer, FC Porto, Benfica, Sporting Lisbon, etc., uh, and then we have the Russian Premier League. The Russian Premier League was available before on YouTube TV via a subscription. And uh, now that has moved to Fubo TV. Fubo TV has a Fubo TV Sports Network 2 on the first Fubo Sports Network 1. They have the Cooligans and they have uh, Julia Stewart Binks and some other shows. But uh, the Russian Premier League looks like it's heading to Fubo TV. And then last but not least, uh, the Scottish League. Still no updates on the Scottish League. I know that there's some broadcasters interested in getting the rights to the league. Uh, the league kicked off on August 1st. Uh, the Belgian League kicked off last weekend, opening weekend, and no broadcaster yet has picked up those rights. And uh, supposedly there's some uh, broadcasters interested in that league too. In the past, 11 sports probably would have picked those rights up. But Eleven Sports has done a deal with the Belgian League uh, where they're producing the games. 
So, um, so it doesn't make any sense for them to go ahead and produce the games and then go ahead and actually broadcast them because they're not making any money off it. Um, so if they produce those games as they're doing right now and sell those rights onto someone else um, in the U.S., then they can at least recoup some of that, that money back from that. Contact uh, TV ratings, um, not a lot to get to, but there are some important ones here. What stands out from, uh, for you for this past week? Oh, I, it was the, the million uh, uh, viewers or so. I, I thought a million, million one, maybe. I, I think we the number got pared down to 967, uh, as I'm looking at it now, for the Barcelona Napoli match on uh, on 2DNA and yeah, Univision. And that shows me the power of what happens if you put Barcelona or Real Madrid, but Barcelona in this case, on a Saturday afternoon in, on, a, on an accessible channel. Versus putting it on uh, uh, BN. No offense to BN. Yep. And this is something La Liga. I, I know we've talked. We've talked. Probably talked about this since we started this format of the show. So three plus years now. But gosh, I mean, if I'm La Liga and I'm relevant sports repping them, and I see that number, I'm uh, I, I'm on the phone trying to get. Match a sub license, something, some sort of arrangement for this coming season, especially with Bundesliga headed to ESPN. With Serie A now, their numbers consistently breaking 100K on uh, on ESPN. You know, some were 150, 170. Some of those Atalanta matches we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, and and now Champions League on CBS. So uh, the ball is in La Liga's court. They they extended their worldwide deal with BN. I think they need to be creative like the Bundesliga was in the U.S. The Bundesliga had a worldwide deal with Fox, but they weren't happy with what Fox in the U.S. did, and they found another partner here. Uh, La Liga, uh, I don't know how how Tebas and, and Relevant are viewing this, but boy, I mean, that number jumped out at me when, when, when it was reported earlier in the week when we saw it. And uh, I think that the analysis is pretty straightforward, what I just gave uh, with that number. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Kartik, but it's never going to happen. Uh, it's never going to happen because uh, anytime, say, if BN Sports said, okay, we're going we're to do a sub license deal with, say, it's Univision or say it's uh, Fox Deportes or wh- whoever it may be, the moment that you go ahead and sub license, say, a Real Madrid game or a Barcelona game, is that kills BN Sports. That, then there's no, what's, the, what's the, the purpose of even having. Uh, subscribing to it being sports when you can watch um, Barcelona games or Real Madrid games on Univision or Fox Deportes or whoever. Now, from a, from a league perspective and from a relevant sports perspective, it makes complete sense to go ahead and do that. I just I think that if you take any of those La Liga games away from from being sports, it just really undermines the value of being sports or having being sports as a channel. Um, having said that, I, I know that. Um, Behind the scenes, there have been discussions and um, La Liga and relevant sports have spoken to be in sports in the past to say, hey, can we work out some type of deal here? Can we get some type of sub-licensing? What can we do to to make this happen? And be in sports has stood firm and said, okay, no, the contract we've signed shows that we have exclusive rights to all La Liga games and that's it. They're They're not budging. Which so it it is one of those things. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, is that we 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 the viewers get stuck. Where okay, if you want to watch La Liga, the only way you can do it is through being sports, and that's it. Which helps being sports out does not help out La Liga or Barcelona or Real Madrid or any any of those clubs as far as growing that uh, fan base. In Kartik, just uh, quickly as far as MLS is back, uh, congratulations to ESPN on and and Major League Soccer on on a really good tournament over the past uh, month. The viewing numbers, I mean, no surprise, 
not the greatest. I mean, the final was uh, 365,000 viewers uh, primetime on ESPN on Tuesday night between Portland and Orlando. Um, the semifinals, I think Orlando-Minnesota was 227,000 on ESPN2. And then uh, Portland against Philadelphia on FS1 last week was uh, 206,000. So what it tells me is that, and we've gone on a lot about this in the last few episodes, is um, and looking at the Barcelona number, there is an appetite for soccer in this country. I don't think there's an appetite for Major League Soccer in, in large numbers. Listener mailbag. Um, let's see who should go first here. Okay. So Noah says, uh, hey, guys, I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years now. The work that you, you and World Soccer Talk produce as a whole is uniquely helpful to the soccer community. So thank you for that. I have been meaning to ask this question for a long time on the basics of your work. How are TV viewership numbers collected? If I am watching the MLS tournament final on ESPN via, via the ESPN app on my PlayStation by logging into a TV provider, is that counted? Um, so lots of good questions there, too. So the, the, the TV viewership numbers are collected by Nielsen. So Nielsen is a uh, measurement uh, ratings company that takes a sample of an audience um, and, and then goes ahead and, and monitors them to see who's you know, who's watching what at, diff- at different times. And in the past, that used to be kind of a, a pen and paper. There used to be a, a notebook that somebody would have to fill out. These days, um, it's it's handled uh, electronically. So if you're watching, like say you're watching ESPN, that's a good example that you mentioned, uh, Noah. You're watching the MLSs back on ESPN via, say, Fubo TV. On Fubo TV, if you look at the settings, it actually has a setting in there that talks, talks about, I don't want to be uh, uh, measured in uh, Nielsen ratings. And that that is actually um, switched on, actually, so I guess switched off uh, automatically. You have to go in there and actually change it if you don't want to be measured. So Nielsen is looking at data from around the country, uh, from the TV stations and from the, the networks and the, the streaming services to see who's watching what and then produces that, that, those numbers there. All right. Next up is uh, RJ Hawkins. And RJ says, uh, gentlemen, great show. Thanks for keeping me updated on my streaming and league coverage options. If you were to give CBS any points of advice as to how to successfully cover the Champions League and Europa League uh, in the next four years beyond what they're doing now, what would that be? Kartik, any, any thoughts on, on how um, CBS can improve? Um, <laughs> they pretty much nailed it. I mean, I'm sure there there there, there are little uh, little things that we can uh, we we can pick on. I mean, even we didn't get to this in in, in the discussion, but uh, even the way that they they worked pre match interviews with coaches and post match interviews with coaches and players, uh, and the Guillaume Balagway you mentioned that, and and Rafa Honningstein uh, getting to go to to, to uh, Bayern or getting to go to Munich for 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 the Bayern match. Those sorts of things are things that I don't think if I had put a template together, I would have necessarily put on there and in incorporating Steve McManaman and now Peter Schmeichel at sites. Uh, I, I suppose there's always room for improvement. I can't think of anything offhand that they haven't done uh, so far. I mean, got, they're, they're, they're little things, but yeah, yeah go ahead. I've, I've got two small things. The first thing is that uh, I would speak to Ka- uh, Clive Tilsley and Peter Drury and say to them, hey, guys, don't try too hard. Just do you, do your thing. Focus on your commentary of games. Do what you're fantastic at. 
and and don't try to placate the um, the American audience. Don't try to go down a a hole talking about John Harkes and Greenville and and uh, all these things that have absolutely zero to do with the game that's happening. And like Clive Tilsley, don't it, it, don't, don't, don't you don't have to focus on talking about America or trying to talk to them during a broadcast just do what you do which is covering the games and uh and then i mean everyone really really appreciates that sure if there's a a valid discussion point that pertains to the united states mention that but but don't try too hard and i think that's one thing we've seen the second thing and to me this is a this is a bigger thing is that um when the team sheets are announced and it's you I mean usually you know, right an hour before kickoff by the time they get to it, it's been getting better, but by the time they get to it, it's about 10 or 15 minutes after we all know who's starting. Um, I would like to see that. I'd love to see that as kind of breaking news, kind of a, t- a ticker across the bottom, like Fox did. Fox used to do that. And having and actually have the graphics of the actual uh, layout on the screen as far as who's in which, which position, spend a little bit more time on that. And, and again, they've gotten better as time has gone on. But to me, that's breaking news. That's that's something to lead off the broadcast with. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that uh, Aiden has it is starting, and here's what that means, and and who's who's not playing as a result of that. Those types of things, and I, and I think uh, that's one thing that they they can improve on is that is that uh, breaking news. JP says another great podcast. Can't believe it's been two years. I've been listening religiously. The mailbag comment about uh, World Cup '98 with uh, Thierry Henry. Uh, piquing his interest and then progressing to Barca and becoming hooked as a soccer fan speaks to why MLS still struggles for ratings. It may seem like there's a giant pool of soccer fans if you combine all of the European leagues, Liga MX, uh, World Cup tournaments, and so on. While some of the, these groups overlap, it's mostly fragmented. Various reasons why someone will watch one of these matches, but not necessarily MLS. Uh, Liga MX viewership, I suspect, is made up of recent uh, immigrants from Mexico who have emotional ties to the league. These fans are not going to jump to MLS. Maybe it's a generation or two. It will translate to more fans. But also possible um, in a generation or two, these potential fans will be watching more traditional American sports instead. European League viewership is driven by the mentality that those leagues are the best the world has to offer. Fans may disagree about the Premier League or La Liga and which is better, but regardless, the fans watching their league is the best, uh, has the best talent. These fans won't necessarily watch MLS because they think MLS is second tier. MLS will need to attract the world's best talent, and that means before they reach their retirement age to have these viewers watch it in large numbers. World Cup, Euros, Copa America, the summer tournaments bring in viewers from both diehard soccer fans and the casual sports viewer. The casual sports viewer, for the most part, isn't going to flock to MLS once the tournament ends. It's similar to the Olympics. Every four years, we get captivated with figure skating, swimming, curling, and other various events. Once the Olympics are over, these sports are forgotten about until the next cycle begins. It's watched because of and it, because it's it's an event and some national pride. Some some same goes for a lot of people in the World Cup. So what is my point? MLS won't won't increase TV viewership by a large amount until um, it's viewed as comparable to the European leagues and talent. U.S. men's national team winning a World Cup 
won't do it in my opinion. Same reason the US women's national team winning doesn't translate to huge uh, increases in viewership for NWSL. These are seen as one-off events and not linked uh, to the casual fans' mind uh, to, to, to domestic or foreign clubs. Kartik, uh, do you agree with that? Any, any disagreements with uh, what JP has said? No, I think that's pretty pretty accurate from my viewpoint. I mean, there might be little things I would uh, nitpick, uh, uh, nitpick on. I do not think MLS... Uh, can be comparable in talent to European leagues. That's the problem. So uh, it's all good to to to, to dream, and and I I'm, I I support pro rel and opening, uh, changing, shifting the calendar and opening the system up. But uh, I, it's very naive in this era, post Bosman era, to think any league outside Europe can rival leagues within Europe. Uh, so I, I I'm concerned that if that's the standard, MLS will just never never get there. Because it's not going to happen. And, and when people cite the old NASL, to me, I, I always have to point out to them that was before cross-border movement, the free movement of labor. That Those sorts of concepts were, were fully established uh, in, in Europe and before the European Union was anything more than just a trading block, right? So uh, that uh, was the European economic community in those days. I, I, I think you're talking about apples to oranges. So if the standard for MLS to get um, this sort of mass audience is being comparable to the top European leagues, it is not going to happen. It just isn't. Yeah. Unless there's some major shakeup in European politics and European football, which is unrelated to what we do here. Yeah, one thing that could have happened that may have changed things, and it didn't happen, is that uh, if there was a pandemic globally, and if Europe was completely uh, infected by this, and the U.S. taking the right protocols had, yes. had been clear, and the U.S. was the place to go to to where it'd be safer and healthier and a better place to to to, to actually play and live, that could that could change things where you start to have a, fl- a, fl- a flood of transfers. I, th- I think you know what you're what you're actually seeing is that the reputation of the United States, from a geopolitical standpoint, has, is not as good as it was ten years ago. The reputation of the United States, uh, and certainly not as good as it was twenty years ago. The reputation of the United States in terms of handling this pandemic has been really poor. I do not think it is a coincidence. Ibra and Rooney both left MLS and continued their careers in Europe resume their careers in Europe, I should say. So the thought that MLS at one time was a safe retirement home is no longer the case for a lot of these players because I think it's just now not as attractive to live in the United States unless there's tax implications or that sort of thing. I think that there's a, a lot of drawbacks to coming here. And uh, I I mean, I give uh, Inter-Miami credit. They've uh, signed Blaise Montuidi, who I think is just a phenomenal player. One of my favorite players of the last decade in world football. Uh, but I think that's a one-off. I don't think you're going to get players of that level to come to the United States for a while based on everything that's been going on. Next up is Soccer Thoughts. And Soccer Thoughts says, finish the last podcast. I absolutely agree with your take that soccer is a niche sport in this country. It won't be dominant uh, soon, but that doesn't mean we can we can't enjoy it. The sooner others come to terms with this, the happier they will be. Uh, Nick uh, Silberto says, uh, before the MLS tournament uh, began, I barely watched any MLS regular season and would catch some playoff matches. I wasn't anti-MLS in any way, but I generally got my soccer fix from European leagues in the mornings and afternoons and didn't have time to continue watching at night when MLS was usually on. I was usually I was initially skeptical about the tournament because I thought it would it was reckless. But I gave it a chance since there was very little meaningful soccer going on 
um, anywhere else at the time. I've really enjoyed the knockout stages and the tournament um, has convinced me to try and make more time to watch MLS moving forward. That being said, if MLS goes forward with its plan to resume the regular season, I'm done with MLS. After seeing how badly Major League Baseball has done and they don't even allow fans, there is no way to spin this um, move as anything other than reckless. They are basically announcing that they are okay with risking the health and safety of players and fans for cash. I don't want to invest any time or money in a league that acts this way. It will be easy enough to stick to European leagues and pretend that MLS doesn't exist. On a separate and unrelated note, uh, I have a feeling you will discuss the Atalanta PSG match. And I just want to say that I haven't been this disappointed and upset at a result of any sporting event in a very long time. And I'm not even a uh, Atalanta fan. So, Nick, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, I think uh, I wasn't upset. I was disappointed, but I could, I could almost see it coming. You mean watching that game and seeing how PSG was kind of pushing forward and Atalanta, like you said, Kartik and Roberto Martinez talked about to kind of uh, change the, the way that they played in the second half. They were getting tired. Uh, I could see it coming. It was event. It seemed to be ha- happening, uh, even though the PSG has failed so many times at, at that hurdle. But uh, it was a really entertaining match, even if the result didn't go uh, everyone's way that they wanted it to. But but with Nick, Nick's comments, Nick's comments talk about kind of what we've been talking about in the list of mailbag, which is that um, the, the the feeling in terms of the, the the level of quality between say the European leagues or or even uh, you mean South American leagues and and MLS. And the differences between those, but in Nick's case, he gave MLS a chance. He was not hooked, but definitely interested in the tournament, and was thinking about watching more MLS. But now, with the plan that's going in place, that has taken place with uh, DC playing, I mean, I'm sorry, Dallas playing Nashville this week, is he's probably not going to watch MLS anymore. Yeah, and uh, for me, it's difficult. So I uh, watched. I decided I, I had taken that stand with USL and, and with the uh, other leagues, NISA, uh, UPSL. I decided I would I would I would start watching um, the Dallas Nashville match on Wednesday night, and I was so angry after about 20 minutes, I shut it off and tweeted I wasn't going to watch MLS again, and and uh, have kind of recanted this morning, saying I'll give it another shot, uh, which is the next match between Nashville and Dallas. But if it's equally bad with crowd, uh, rowdy crowd, and people throwing things and no social distancing. And I hope Dow, uh, Nashville has a different standard uh, than than Dallas. Certainly, a uh, I think in in terms of MLS, we would consider Nashville a higher level organization, right, than than FC Dallas, which is the butt of many jokes around the league uh, and around uh, soccer. Then maybe I'll stick. But I I'm right on the edge. I mean, I actually had said the same thing last night. We're recording this on Thursday. I said that Wednesday night, I'm done with MLS. I can't believe that they're having fans in the stands, no social distancing, uh, rowdiness, all of this stuff at a match uh, in the middle of COVID. Uh, I will give it one more shot, which is the next match. Yeah, for me, I think I tweeted something after uh, MLS announced that they were coming back for the regular season in that uh, with MLS's back, I thought really that they had made two giant uh, giant steps forward in a positive way with that tournament and showing how they could uh, basically run a really effective tournament and... um, bring viewers in to watch and then the level was decent uh to watch this competition and 
the tweet was kind of like they've gone two steps forward, but now with this decision to go back into the different cities and have fans in the stadiums, now they've gone ten steps back. It's to me, it's I'm not as excited as watching MLS games now. I, I will probably tune in for some of them, but um, I, I just think that they should have waited a little while longer. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I can't believe we had a, a match the very next night after that final, I, and uh, the 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 schedule has come out uh, until a certain point. It looks like. Chris, maybe some of this was to make up for Fox not having as many matches during the MLS's well, that's, tournament. That's maybe. the thing, though. Well, because I I went ahead and put the schedule together. Um, I didn't create it, but I went ahead and on the uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com website um, went ahead and posted the MLS schedule. Almost all the games are on ESPN Plus, so it seems to be more of a makeup for ESPN. I don't know if this is part of the deal that they had with. Um, with MLS and said, okay, we'll go ahead and uh, have these games at ESPN, Wide World of Sports, and we'll go ahead and produce everything and for the world feed, for Fox and everything. Um, but we want to have more games on ESPN+. And that's the, the vast majority of the games are on ESPN+. Now, I mean, there's some on Fox. I think there's one on Big Fox and, and a few small handful on FS1. Yeah, it's the El Trafico match. I think that's something. Yeah, things. Univision didn't get hardly any too. So th- to me, this makes me think that this was part of the deal that ESPN said, okay, we'll do this. We'll, we'll produce this MLS's back. But once this tournament starts, once the season uh, starts back up again, we want more games on ESPN+. Plus. So, um, which I guess in a way too is that if it is a bad look for MLS and whether things are happening at the stadium as far as people protesting or throwing things or just, you mean, just uh, kind of rowdy fans, what, whatever it may be. If it is on ESPN Plus, it's not as many people, not as many eyeballs watching these games. You know what I mean? It's not on, on Big Fox. It's not on primetime ESPN. But um, it seems to be more that, that that's that's what I've seen so far. But it is interesting. All right, Kartik, uh, listeners. If you do have uh, any thoughts, ideas, feedback, questions about streaming, questions about watching your favorite league or teams from around the world or wherever they may be, may, may be we want you to have your say. You, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. We love to get your feedback. Um, almost every post or every tweet or every comment uh, we do get, uh, we try to read out as many as those as possible. And we really appreciate uh, you listening and really appreciate your input and analysis. It really kind of helps this show keep on driving. Kartik, before we head into another weekend, um, anything in, going on in your life or anything going you're looking forward to in the next few days? Of course, we've yeah, got the Champions I'm, League, right? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Sevilla, Man United. I mean, I think that that's, uh, that, that, that's an even matchup. And then when you look at Inter, Shakhtar, this is, I guess, we've had final fours of the um, semifinal level of the Europa League that have been good at times, but I, I don't remember one that may be this interesting. Um, and then I, I think Bayer Leverkusen was right there in the conversation with all four of those clubs in terms of how how good they were, but we call them Neverkusen for a reason, right? They 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 they, they really <laughs> took it to Inter, but couldn't <laughs> couldn't get over the hunt, right? Oh man, 
Yeah. So I've, I, I, I've never heard that one before. Minute, actually, I've never heard and that one before. That's that's pretty rough. That's, that's a ger- <laughs> that's a German uh, that's a German thing. They call them Neverkusen because I mean, we, we you and I visited the club and yeah. we talked about the season that they lost in three finals. Right, they lost in the Champions League final, German Cup final, and fell on the final day to not win the Bundesliga. That's the kind of club it is. But I'm excited about Europa League, and I and I'm people are going to be shocked I'm saying that because I've dissed the tournament. You've been a big advocate of it, and yeah. I have to give you credit for that, Chris. But I'm actually almost more excited about it than I am Champions League now with Atalanta out. Uh, obviously, I have a rooting interest in Man City, but uh, Atalanta was keeping me really focused on Champions League and then the dream of maybe them winning it. It's it's amazing how far the Europa League has come as far as coverage goes. So, so you look back to last season on uh, Turner Sports, None of the games were, were televised. Uh, it was all on streaming, right? It was all on BR Live. Um, and, and yes, for the Europa League now, we get all those games on streaming except for the final. But you didn't get this type of level of uh, pre-game and, and post-match analysis. We didn't mention uh, Jules Breach, who's the uh, the host and presenter of the Europa League coverage. Oh, right, So right. Kate, Kate Abdo doing the Champions League and Jules Breach, who's really, really good. Um another breath of fresh air and doing the Europa League. And then you look back a few years to what Fox was doing with Europa League and they really used it as a, as an experiment. They were kind of betting a lot of their uh, commentators and, and analysts and using them and putting them on the Europa League to have some practice, some match practice to commentate those games before World Cup tournaments. Um, so it was really kind of an experiment and a lot of those games, I mean, it was, rough watching it would be on fs2 on on a thursday and maybe get like fifty thousand uh viewers last but not least Carter, i do want to mention one thing we forgot to mention it in the tv rating section is how many people watch the games on cbs well the answer is we don't know and we'll probably never know because uh cbs sports network uh that has televised a couple of the games thus far the barcelona napoli game of course the big one we know that the 967,000 people was on Univision and Tudo NA combined. CBS Sports Network is not uh, nationally rated by Nielsen. So uh, those numbers are not available. Now, if CBS wanted to go ahead and say, hey, Nielsen, can you do a custom report? We want to find out how many people are actually watching uh, the Champions League on CBS Sports Network. Uh, CBS could pay for that and get that report to them. Whether they share that with the, the press or the public, uh, they may not may not want to. But at the end of the day, uh, CBS's push really it's it's one hundred percent for CBS All Access, and then having some of the games on CBS Sports Network, and then maybe in a couple of years or maybe a year from now, we'll have some some of the games on on big. Uh, over-the-air CBS network, but uh, the main push is CBS All Access. And I think from this podcast, Kartik, and previous ones too, that that's really where you get the high-level analysis, which has been out of this world. Yeah, and uh, just a reminder, and I know we're, we're signing off here, but just a quick reminder to listeners, if you have CBS Sports Network, look on your programming guide. I have looked, I have recorded everything uh, or set it to record permanently, but they are repeating all of these studio shows and uh, and uh, matches that are on all access over on, in the overnight hours. So even the Europa League matches have all been repeated. So if you're not able to watch them live, and you're not, uh, you don't have the streaming service. You can still see these matches. You can still see the quality presentation. And that's another thing I really appreciate. It is a byproduct of CBS Sports Network not having very much programming, right? They don't have the the, the, the library of rights that NBC, ESPN, or Fox has. But uh, they are showing all the broadcasts, again, on uh, linear television. 
Yeah, and and to add one more thing to that too is that uh, if you do miss any of the the post match coverage for the Europa League or the Champions League, is that CBS All Access has that available on demand too, so you can go back in and, and watch and see Roberto Martinez and Jamie Carragher, who's been wonderful, uh, as well as Peter Schmeichel, Rafa Honigstein. Go on, uh, you can, we, go, we can go on and on and on. These are some of the best commentators and some of the best analysts and some of the best. Uh, talent from around the world and we're seeing some rising stars uh included in that too and uh of course too cbs all access has all the the games on demand too if you miss those also for six bucks a month and sixty dollars a year having access to every single uh champions league game and europa league game i signed up for the annual plan i was like man i'm i'm, I'm hooked based on the analysis alone it, it's worth the money yeah, and I did the commercial free one, so that's uh, ten dollars a month. So how does that work? Not to drag this on any longer, but how does that work, Kartik? So what commercials don't you see? Do you see you see, you saw the Ted Lasso one? Yeah, I though. saw all the Ted Lasso ads and all of the uh, they, they 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 have cut out. It looks like they've cut out the UEFA ads, the uh, Heineken. Okay. The, yeah, the Pepsi. Um, because the ads I've seen on television during the broadcast, because there are some matches where I've watched it on All Access first, and then, as I said, they, they tape in the overnight hours. It appears it's those ads. Uh, so I think for, um, for, for dramas and for if you're watching shows and movies, uh, which they have a great library of stuff that I'll dig into once Champions League is over on that, right. uh, I think you get no commercials at all for that. So yeah. that's the advantage. But there's fewer commercials even for, for uh, Champions League and for Europa League, which is also good. One, let me say one, one more thing, Kartik. And for those listeners who are still with us, uh, this it pays to go ahead and, and listen to the whole podcast. The one thing I forgot to mention is that with the CBS All Access and, and the coverage that they've had, is I, I have the uh, I, I paid the, the sixty bucks a year, so basically the six bucks a month for the uh, the commercials. But there's a lot more analysis. You get a lot more content pre-game and post-match with with TNT. It seemed like every five minutes it was going to a commercial. You come right back. Kate Abdo would say, "Okay, all right, coming back uh, after the break, we'll talk about X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be." It was very commercial heavy, as was Fox Sports. With CBS All Access, they have a lot more time to analyze, and they're not rushing to a commercial break. Um, you mean it's more of kind of a letting Roberto talk for a minute or two extra in order to get his thoughts in before they go to a break and, and do go to the, the Pepsi ads. Yeah, and that's the same thing with uh, NBC Premier League. Another complaint I have is that their their pregame shows are just loaded with commercials. I mean, it's it's almost a commercial fest, right? There's yeah. there's no, there's nothing more. And I get that because uh, in defense of NBC, ESPN, and Fox, soccer is a, a a sport that's tough on television because you can't build ads into the into the broadcast itself, except at halftime. So that is why they do it. But yes, appreciate that with CBS. Also, that is one of the advantages of a pay service having the rights. There are other ways they can offset the cost so for everybody complaining that things are leaving linear television and going to streaming i feel you i agree i would rather watch all of these things on linear television but there is a cost to it and this is the upside where they they can run with less ads or in some cases as i said with the ten dollar plan with virtually no ads all right, Kartik, so heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world with the uh, UEFA Champions League, U- UEFA Europa League, uh, you've got the Brazilian, Brazilian League, you've got the uh, Mexican League, you've got, uh, you got MLS, you've got, you got a ton of different things happening. Uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.